The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, and can be found on page 1174 of the Church Bibles. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz. Let's um, pray together, shall we? So the first verse, Paul prays, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And Lord, we come before you this morning as King of kings and Lord of lords. And before we turn to pray for the things of this world, this country, this church, we bring before you the times when we haven't recognized you as our Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We're sorry for the times when we have given our attention to other things. Lord, would you help us to know your unending love for us and to walk in your ways all the days of our life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We begin by praying for the world. Firstly, we pray for the situation in China and elsewhere in the world, concerned with the spread of coronavirus. Lord, we pray for wisdom for those in authority. We pray for protection for healing. But today, Lord, we particularly pray for the church in China as well, as we pray for Christians around the world who are persecuted. Would your church shine your light brightly into that situation and into that country, that more would come to know you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? And we pray with Paul that out of your glorious riches, we may be strengthened with power from you. And that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So we continue to pray for the world. Tomorrow marks the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. 
and is marked globally as Holocaust Memorial Day. We pray with Christians around the world, this prayer written by Christian leaders. And we come before you, loving God, with heavy hearts, remembering the six million Jewish souls murdered during the Holocaust. In the horrors of that history, when so many groups were targeted because of their identity, we recognize destructive prejudices that drive people apart. Forgive us when we give space to fear, to negativity, and to hatred of others, simply because they are different from us. And in the light of God, we pray that we can have the courage to face any darkness. Through our prayers and our actions, help us to stand together with those who are suffering so that your light may banish all darkness. Your love prevail over all hate and your goodness triumph over all evil. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for things of this country. This morning we particularly pray for the families and friends of seven-year-old Samuel Barker from Monmouthshire, known to some in this congregation here, who died in a car accident just after Christmas. At the request of the family, we join with Christians around this country praying today that through this tragedy, a renewal of your hope may spread in Monmouthshire. And as we look around this country and see the turmoil around, we pray that for us all, that we would see hundreds and thousands turning to you, whose love and whose kingdom never fails. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our own town of Leamington Spa and continue to lift before you the families and friends of Nasia Patrice, who was stabbed just over a week ago. As we do so this morning, we pray for our police, for the ambulance, for the fire services, and all those who run towards danger as others run away. Lord, would you strengthen and uphold them? Would you draw near particularly to Christians in those workforces, that they may know your light and your hope, and that they may share your light and hope in the difficult situations they face every day? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We begin to pray for ourselves, firstly lifting before you Ruth and Adrian who are not well, and Liz Garrett not well this morning. Lord, we pray that you would bring them healing and healing for those that we know who are unwell. Maybe in a moment of silence, lift up to the Lord anyone you know who needs the Lord's help at this time. We also pray, Lord, this morning for Lizzie Timlin and all of our children's groups, our youth groups, for Kate leading downstairs, for Lydia leading in movers. Would your light and hope shine through what they are learning this morning? And we lift Jonathan to you as well as he comes to share with us in a few minutes' time that your word would dwell deeply within him and lead us to your living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lastly first bring before the Lord things of our own hearts, the things we know we need his help with at this time in a moment of quiet. And then in this final moment of silence, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us afresh this morning, helping us to know that you are here. And we bring all these prayers to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me as we share in the words of the Creed together? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And we're going to remain standing as we sing again together.
love for us through the years you've always been there oh great is your faithfulness your faithfulness through the years you've always been there great is your love for us your love for us through the years you've always been there through the years you've always been there a prayer as we stand we praise you lord god our father for your steadfast love and your faithfulness to us, we recognize that we go up and down and circumstances change. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we pray, send your spirit afresh today. Speak through me, speak through your word to each of us. And give us a greater confidence in your faithfulness to us. And help us to rest in it, whatever is going on. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do please be seated. Uh, my name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. If I can add my own welcome to that that Adam gave, especially if you're here for the very first time, you are very welcome. Uh, this isn't quite what I was expecting to do when I woke up this morning. Uh, I've prepared a sermon on 1 Peter for this evening. We're starting a new series on 1 Peter this evening. And Ruth was due to be preaching on, Daniel, no, on uh, Ephesians 3 this morning. And I woke up and looked at my text, and poor Ruth and Adrian have been knocked out by a terrible bug. So we continue praying they will be restored. And I thought, well, that's exciting. I get to preach at no notice, and which is always in, and the Lord is very good, and it's, it's rather fun. If you have time to prepare and you don't take it, you know, the Lord lets you look stupid. But if you have no time to prepare, it, he is faithful. And I was halfway through my five-minute preparation of Ephesians 3, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the thought came, you could always preach the sermon you have prepared for this evening. So we're going to, I'm going to preach the 1 Peter sermon tonight. I'm glad we had Ephesians 3 read, this glorious prayer. And I commend it to your prayers as I commend the prayer course we're doing. Not too late to join if you're looking for help with prayer. Let me just introduce why I'm preaching on 1 Peter in the evenings. And then from next week, the book of Daniel in the mornings. Uh, we live in a society that was Christian, but is now definitely post-Christian. In fact, so post-Christian is our society that I think it's almost pre-Christian again. We have people who for generations have, had, have got no idea of the gospel. When I was growing up, uh, most people seem to have Christian values put into them. But the way it works is that if you believe in God, his values become your values. The next generation who stops believing in God keep the Christian values. But down the generations, without the underpinning faith in God, the Christian values go. And we see that in our society. Politicians who lie, well, that's okay. They still, they still stay there. The greed is okay. We see it entirely different values to do with sex and marriage, uh, questions of gender, uh, of human-centered rather than from God's creation-centered. We are increasingly out of step with the way our society thinks. Uh, and it struck me uh, last term or before that that is very similar to how the early Christians were. They didn't live in a society shaped by Christian values. 
uh, particularly as the gospel spread out of a Jewish context into a Greek, Roman Greek context, the values of that Roman Greek culture were very, very different. And the Christians had to learn how to live in that culture. Uh, so 1 Peter is written to Christians scattered in exile around the Roman Greek world. How to live godly lives in a non-Christian world. Uh, next week, we'll start looking at the book of Daniel in the mornings. Daniel, if you know your Old Testament at all, was a good Jewish boy who was carted off into exile in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. He was trying to live a godly life in a culture with very different values. Uh, and so the theme of the two things we're looking at over the next month or so, mornings and evenings, Daniel in the mornings, 1 Peter in the evenings, is how can we lead godly lives in a culture whose values are no longer the same. Uh, now, the early church grew phenomenally in that culture, so I think we have every expectation that God will use us, uh, but there is no expectation that it will be easy for us. So here ends the introductory flannel. That's why we're doing Daniel in the morning and 1 Peter in the evening. Uh, some people have got very excited that we're preaching different sermons again morning and evening and get two different bits of input. Uh, apologies to you who are looking forward to getting Ephesians 3 and we're really excited to come this evening again. You got me all day. Uh, but the plan is we're trying to preach different sermons morning and evening. Uh, so let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to follow it, in the paper, there are paper copies of the Bible uh, in front of all the pillars and on the bookcases. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That is modern-day Turkey, all of that. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we put the first verse back up again, here is Peter in his old age. This is Peter, many people's favorite of all the apostles, the disciples. We can identify with him. Uh, he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it, he gets things wrong. He's top of the class and praised by Jesus one minute, he's bottom the other minute. Uh, he's an enthusiast, he's got passion, his heart is good. And here he is in his old age. This is probably AD 63, maybe 64. Nero is the Caesar. Persecution is growing, uh, focused in Rome, but around the whole Roman Empire. 
and the Christians, God's elect, chosen, are scattered. They are in exile in all sorts of different places. The persecution has led to them scattering right throughout those areas of the whole of modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. Uh, and Peter is writing to encourage them, as I said earlier, to lead godly lives in a culture that has very different values. And this, uh, these opening verses are a bit like an overture at the start as an orchestra plays all the themes that you're going to hear over the evening. There are lots of themes that crop up in this first chapter that we'll see repeated. Peter takes them back to how they first of all came to Christian faith. And he talks about how difficult it is now and he points them to the future. So if you want to know where this sermon is going, we'll look at the past, we'll look at the present and we'll look at the future. Uh, and that's the, the framework for how we'll look at this today. So first of all, he takes them back to their beginning, where their Christian faith started. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He takes them back to the fact that they have been born again. Now, 2,000 years ago, that was not a political slogan as it kind of is in America, uh, sometimes in the Bible Belt. Uh, born again is this wonderful new reality that Jesus told to Nicodemus that God gives us a whole new fresh start when we turn to faith in him. It is like we are new creations. And they had experienced that. You did not call yourself a Christian in those days unless you were. You were going to get persecuted. There was no nominal Christianity floating around at all. They had been born again. And before Peter addresses the current difficulties, he takes them back to what God has done. Now, I love this imagery of birth. Uh, physical birth is the most amazing miracle. We have five children. I've been at the birth of everyone. Everyone has been different. Uh, we had twins who were delivered by caesarean, so that was an interesting experience and quite demanding, uh, but amazing to be capped and gowned up in the operating theatre. Uh, others were born more normally, but at different times of day. Uh, one of them waited till just after we were about to go to sleep at midnight, to decide he was coming. So we were maximum tired. Uh, I'm in awe of my wife, Juliet. But every time these new babies have been born, it is a complete miracle. I remember speaking to the doctor when Thomas, our eldest, was born. And he'd been present at hundreds of births. And he said, everyone is an amazing miracle. And I feel the same for everyone that comes to new birth in Jesus. Just this week, I met someone who I was privileged to lead to faith in Jesus seven or eight years ago. I hadn't seen her for a few years. Uh, and instantly we remembered that great moment. She had been exploring Christian faith. She wasn't quite sure. We sat down, we talked, she was ready, we prayed together. She says, that was the moment I became a Christian. Wonderful. And she's grown. And thinking back to that moment seven or eight years ago was encouraging to her. It was encouraging to me. Now, Peter feels the same about all of these who are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, thousands and thousands of them scattered around this area. We have been born anew. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been born 
again. You don't just drift into faith in Jesus. You can drift into church attendance and you can drift out again, and people do. But to come to new birth always takes a decision of bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord. Some of us grew up in Christian families and our faith was second-hand through our parents and we needed to make it first-hand. Some have come very definitely not from Christian families or have drifted a long way away and come back. Uh, But you never drift into the decision of being a Christian. You can get to the point where you need to make a decision. There may be someone here this morning who's been weighing these things up. Today might just be the day when you choose to bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord. But Peter makes the point that it's God that does it. He gives us the new birth, just as he is behind physical birth. Uh, It's all of God, this extraordinary miracle that comes. I love listening to people describing the difference coming to faith in Jesus has made. Uh, People have said things like this to me. It's like starting all over again. I never realized what a difference it would make. I feel like a complete beginner with a whole new outlook. I love this one. I was living life in black and white. Now I'm living it in color. Uh, Now I feel complete. Uh, For some, it is a gradual thing. And bit by bit by bit, they come to faith in Jesus. Little steps, little steps, little steps as they come to faith in Jesus. For some, it's a very dramatic moment, like it was for St. Paul. Uh, The worldwide church has been celebrating the conversion of St. Paul this weekend. We are St. Paul's church. I don't know if you know our St. Paul's window. If you can look at the back window in the very left-hand thing, you get the blinding flash of light, the Damascus Road experience where Paul was converted. Uh, I get to look at that every time I preach. Uh, But it's... For some of you, it was a dramatic moment, and you could think back, and you could say, it was on this day, at this time. For others, it was more in a season, but you came to the point where you bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord, and you've experienced the wonder of being washed clean, forgiveness instead of guilt or shame, peace inwardly instead of turmoil. A purpose and hope instead of a sort of emptying, emptiness of sort of, well, what's the purpose of life and just going through the motions? However people describe it, all three members of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, were involved in your coming to faith in Jesus. Just verse 2 again, if we go back. It's been done by God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us holy to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. All members of the Trinity involved. We come to call God our Father. That's amazing. We're adopted into his family. It's all because of what Jesus did by shedding his blood. And throughout this letter, Peter continually drops in every chapter, pretty much great texts about the cross. Uh, Let's look ahead at a few. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You know, it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was the lamb sacrificed for our sin. Or chapter 2, verse 24. I remember learning this as a young Christian about what's at the heart of the cross. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the full price. He said it is finished when he died. Sin has been paid for. And when we're baptized, that water is a picture of washing clean. 
So we needn't know forgiveness or we needn't know guilt or shame anymore. Or chapter 3 in verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. It happened once for all. There's no more sacrifice that's in that needs to be made. Jesus has done it. And Peter takes them back. God's chosen you. You're adopted into his family. Jesus died for you, so you're forgiven. The Holy Spirit is thoroughly involved in all of this. If we put up verse 2 again. Uh, there we go, verse 2. The sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit works within us so we are forgiven and we slowly become more and more like Jesus. Uh, so if any of you here are finding it tough to be a Christian, that is normal, uh, help each other by going back to when you came to faith. In the small groups, tell your stories. Uh, when you meet new people, ask how did you come to faith in Jesus? It's always encouraging to hear other people's story, but it's always good to be taken back to your new birth, to remember what God did. You have been born anew into a living hope. Uh, that has happened. And the danger is we can start taking things for granted, uh, whereas the wonder that comes as we look back at what God has done is very good for us. So that's the first thing. Peter takes them back. You have been born anew. Never forget the wonder. You've been made a new creation. Then he addresses the fact that life is tough. To be a follower of Jesus in a world that crucified him, in a world with very different values, is a tough thing to do. Let's read verses 6 to 9. In all this, the new birth, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, I bet it didn't feel like that when you are in the middle of suffering, but for a little while in the light of eternity, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter puts it in this big perspective of eternity. In the light of eternity, what is suffered now is a little while. Though it doesn't feel like it when you're bogged down in it. Uh, Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say that Christian life will be easy. If anyone has told you, come to faith in Jesus and everything will be fine, uh, you need to drill into what they mean by that. God will be with you all the time, that is promised. He will never leave you or forsake you, that is promised. You will be forgiven, that is promised. Uh, he will give you peace inwardly as you trust him, that is promised. Uh, but there is no promise that circumstances will be easy. In fact, quite the opposite. We are swimming against the stream. Uh, Adam said we're having a new February notice sheet next month. I think the picture we're going to put on the front of it is a whole lot of fishes with one or two swimming against the stream as the sort of theme of what we're looking at. In a world going one way, we go the other way. Uh, we put our faith in God. One church... Uh, in a part of the world where there's persecution, in addition to all the normal baptism vows, asks people who are before they're baptized, are you prepared to suffer for Jesus? That's the expectation. That is normal Christianity. We're partnered with Open Doors, who particularly lead for the prayer and encouragement for the persecuted church. 
they reckon they've just produced the latest world watch list to the MPs, over 100 MPs saw that. Uh, Philip Mount Stephen's report on the persecuted church and the recommendations have been adopted by the government. That is wonderful. But they reckon 245 million Christians are severely persecuted for their faith. That is about a tenth of the global population. About 2.4 people believe in Jesus or name the name of Jesus. About a third of the planet who would call themselves Christians. But fully a tenth of our brothers and sisters are horribly persecuted. This is normal for them and this is how it was for the people who would have got this letter now that is a vital reminder to us because we can forget that and I think the evil one whispers in our ears God's your heavenly father nothing's impossible for him you've prayed and he hasn't done what you wanted he can't love you you might as well give up but the expectation is that life is tough and God will give us the strength through it now, from time to time, there are wonderful healings, and we need to keep praying for this because God breaks in from time to time. Uh, he tends, I've never seen an instant emotional healing. I've seen from, some time, from time to time physical things dramatically, rare, but from time. But usually, his work within us is bit by bit by bit by bit, slowly, steadily, making us more like Jesus, using all the circumstances that come as we trust in him to make us more like Jesus. Uh, he uses the imagery of gold being purified. If we go back to verse 7. Your faith of greater worth than gold, uh, which perishes, they refine by fire. You know how they refine gold. They heat it up, and the dross comes to the top, and they scoop the dross off, and they heat it up more, and more dross comes to the top. And they scoop it off. If you're making nine carat gold, like my wedding ring, that's probably enough. If you're making 18 carat gold, they heat it up a bit more. And they scoop off more dross. And they heat it up a bit more. If you make 24 carat gold, you keep heating up until all the impurity is gone. It seems that God allows that to happen with us. Tough things happen. We say, God, where have you gone? The truth is he's there with us in it. And as we trust in him, all the rubbish in our lives tends to come to the surface and then he can deal with it. So if you are facing tough times, this is normal Christianity. God is there with you in it, and he is helping you become more like Jesus. We don't abandon our faith because God hasn't done exactly what we want. We tend to pray for the circumstances to be changed. Uh, but actually what Paul prayed, that prayer we heard from Ephesians 3, was that our inner strength would grow. He wasn't really praying for different circumstances. He was praying that we would, we would grow stronger in our faith in Jesus so we can face the circumstances. Now, I think it's good to pray both. I'm all in favor, as we, Adam prayed earlier, to pray for the church in China that the persecution stops. Though the Lord may allow it to go on because the church tends to grow better when it's persecuted. He may allow that. He may allow persecution to come much more obviously in this nation, in the generations ahead. We don't know. We're very privileged to live in a fairly easy environment, but it's getting harder to be a Christian. What we do learn from the persecuted church is that they have an extraordinary joy in Jesus that we know very little about. Very little about. There's a, a great verse about joy in this passage. And often we find in the New Testament, joy and trouble are there linked together. Where there's persecution, where there's trouble, as we trust in Jesus, there the joy is greater.
I remember we were partnered with the church St. George's in Baghdad when Andrew White was the vicar there. And he came to speak to us quite often. He said, I've never seen suffering like at that church. And I've never seen joy like in that church. So if you're struggling, pray. Do pray that God would change the circumstances. He may say, yes, that's wonderful. But more importantly, pray that he would give you courage to stay faithful. He is purifying your faith like gold is purified to stay faithful to him. Uh, the point we need to get our heads around, as Peter has written, is that they are exiles. So back to verse 1, Peter has written to God's elect, they are exiles scattered through. Uh, they're not citizens of Rome, they're citizens of heaven living in the Roman Empire. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. This is what he would write to us today to the church in England you are wanting to be faithful to Jesus you are citizens of heaven you are exiles from heaven in the United Kingdom which is getting increasingly godless live for Jesus as exiles our citizenship is in heaven we are ambassadors for Christ Paul says an ambassador is someone who represents their country in a foreign country we represent the kingdom of heaven in the United Kingdom here. Uh, we'll learn a lot from that from Daniel next week as an exile in Babylon, what it is to lead a godly life. I remember when this came home to me, and apologies to those of you who've been listening to preach, me preach for 20 years, you will have heard this illustration a few times. But 20 years ago, uh, I was interviewed for the job of being vicar here. I was a vicar in Hinckley, just half an hour north. Um, our parents, both Jewett's and my dad's, were vicars, and they used to have uh, big vicarages, and we used to go on holiday to their big vicarages. We had good childcare, big houses, where we had four children at the time. That all worked well. Then they retired to small houses, and we had a fifth child. And uh, trying to stay with them wasn't so comfortable for anybody. Uh, and a little bit of money came down the family. We put down some money into a holiday house in North Devon, uh, which we holiday let and we used for holidays. So 20 years ago... Uh, I was appointed as vicar here in Leamington. I was the vicar in Hinckley, and we'd just bought our own house down in Westwood Ho in North Devon. And I remember when we, we, we'd just got it livable at Easter, and we had our Easter holiday down there. It's the first time I'd ever been in a house anyone in my family had ever owned, because we grew up in vicarages. And it felt different to living in a vicarage, which is a tied cottage, a rather nice tied cottage, but it's, it's, a, it's a workplace as much as a living place. And I remember this crisis, Lord, where do I belong? I, uh, I live in Hinckley, but I'm going to live in Leamington, but the house I own is in Devon. Where do I belong? And as I drove back from Devon, uh, going up the A46 to the M69, and I passed Leamington, which would be my home, uh, where I didn't live, and went to Hinckley, where I did live, but it wasn't the home I owned, it all came to a head. Where do I belong? And this was what the Lord brought to my mind. You belong in heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. You're passing through. That's where your roots should be. And now we've been here 20 years, and our roots are firmly into Leamington. We love it here uh, and feel called to be here. But it's easy to forget that we're citizens of heaven. We belong to a greater country the Lord's great city and we are here as ambassadors in a country with different values we need to pray that 
the Lord brings this nation back to him and the values come back to being Christian values. But the more different our values are from the nation we live in, the more we can expect living here to be difficult. So let's come on to the third section. The first one, Peter takes them back to when they came to faith in Jesus. Remember back to the beginning, what God did. Be realistic. The Christian life is not going to be easy in this life. Uh, if you're isolated as a Christian, it's particularly hard in your workplace or family. We need to pray for others to pull together. That'll be one of the things we learned from Daniel with his uh, formation, with his three friends that have formed a real sort of core prayer group in the midst of the godlessness. We'll see that next week. But the third thing he says is look ahead. Look ahead to what is coming. You have a living hope. Let's go back uh, to verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's leave that just there. We have the most glorious inheritance. Now, some of you will know some rich people who are going to inherit an awful lot of money. One or two of you may be in that uh, fortunate, blessed category to be inheriting all sorts of money. Uh, do use it for the kingdom of God and be as generous as you can for everybody else. Uh, most of us aren't in that position financially, but we are all in that position spiritually. We have the most amazing inheritance that is coming. The Ephesians 3 reading that Ruth was due to preach on, uh, that Liz read before the prayers. God has abundant riches that he pours out on us. Uh, when Jesus returns and the world is made new, a new heaven and a new earth together, it will be utterly glorious, better than anything we've experienced in this world all the time. And we need to look ahead to that. The more the church has been persecuted, the more it has looked ahead to the future. You think of all those Negro spirituals that were written looking ahead to a home in glory that outshines the sun. The more comfortable life is here, the more we forget that. And we need to look ahead to our living hope, this glorious inheritance. We all need things to look forward to. Uh, we have holidays to look forward to. Uh, you may have jobs where it's the weekend you look forward to. Uh, you, may be, you may have exams coming up and you're looking forward to when they're over. Uh, you may be looking forward to a wedding or the birth of a baby or, the, or to retiring. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, we're all meant to look forward to glory. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord Jesus came back today? <laughs> That's where we're most looking forward to. My oldest, when he was five, got this in his head. He was curled up on the sofa with a horrible bug with a duvet watching Disney. And he says, is there anything else we can get you? No, he said, I just want to die and go to heaven. <laughs> he kind of got it right. <laughs> Actually, that is when it's all going to be sorted and glorious. It's how we keep that attitude of looking ahead to how wonderful it will be and living for Jesus in this world and family and work. We live in an age when people have lost hope. The modern world, if we go back a generation or two, had this, because of scientific progress, we expect the world to get better and better and better. The postmodern world has lost that hope generally that things will be better. There's goodness knows what's going to happen with sort of China and Russia and North Korea or a more militant America. What, what is going to happen? 
and people in our society are worried about their worried about the environment, especially our teenagers and children. It's almost being drummed into them, and they're living in fear. Now, it's right that we look after our planet, but it's not right that we make our children terrified. That's crazy. We have a living hope, and we have good news to look forward to, to when Jesus renews everything, and it's as sure as the resurrection, and we are to look forward. And it's interesting how hope seems to be the big aspect of the gospel I think our society needs. A thousand years ago, most of the theologies were theologies of love, theologians like Peter Abelard. It's the love of God. Uh, around the Reformation, Martin Luther, it was all theologies of faith were the big thing. Today, it's theology of hope. A German theologian called Moltmann articulated this a few years ago. But that's where people are most looking. If we can communicate our living hope, people will be really interested. Sometimes we're criticized that the church is so heavenly minded, it's no earthly use. But it's precisely those Christians who've looked ahead to the next world who've made the most difference to this. It's the churches that most have a living hope that have got involved and set up the food banks and the street pastors and everybody else in our, in our day. Uh, so let's come into land and put verse 8 up. It is a curious thing. We live in a society that has more material stuff, more comfort than ever, and is less happy. I don't know how they do happiness studies, but they always say there's less of it, and I think that's right. Peter is writing to Christians who were persecuted in exile, who had very little, but they have an amazing joy. He writes this, verse 8, Though you've not yet seen Jesus, though Peter had, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. If you aim for a comfortable life, you may well achieve that, but you'll probably be a bit miserable inside because it's purposeless. If you aim to follow Jesus in the way that leads to glory, it will be difficult. The early Christians were pretty much promised that life would be really hard, they'd be constantly persecuted, and they'd be full of joy. And that's pretty much uh, what happened. Uh, so we are going to pray that for each other. And just as an appetite wetter to the next passage, if we can put verse 13 up. Uh, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that God would help us to set our hope there. So would you stand and we'll pray. Perhaps the band would come back. This is similar to where Adam was preaching last week from Ephesians 1, that God would open our eyes. Perhaps we've just put that up, Ephesians 1. Pray the eyes of your heart may be opened to know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints, his incomparably great power that strengthens us and shields us in the difficult times. So Lord Jesus, we bow before you. You left the glory of heaven for us. You were crucified for us. We praise you that you are risen and you've poured out your spirit and we have been born again into a living hope. We pray blessing on our brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world. Thank you for their faith in you and their joy. May we learn from them. Give us grace in whatever is facing us to stay faithful to you, to look back to that new birth when we were adopted into your family, to look forward to when Jesus will return. 
and for courage in the tough times as we pray for events to change, for healing, for your breakthrough. We long to see that more and more, signs of your kingdom. But whether or not we see what we are wanting, would you strengthen us in our inner beings? Would you purify our faith like gold, that we would become more like Jesus? So come Holy Spirit and minister to your people now. Just be still for a minute. The Lord may want to bring something to your attention. You may want to ask him a particular question. Let's just be still. And in the stillness, Holy Spirit, minister to us deeply.